This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. Yeah, yeah. My, name, my name's Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why are we saying this over and over again? Because when you read The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, which is a book by Rebecca Wells that I read this week for our book podcast, where every week one of us reads a book and then tells the other one about it. Um, you read those words a million times until they just cease to mean anything. Yeah, is this so? This was they like they come to mean something and then they stop meaning something again. <laughs> it's a weird cycle. Yeah, this is just one of those books that's been out there. This is a good like classic, modern classic overdue book. Like this book's just been out in the ether, just doing this book thing. I don't know anything about it, but I feel like I should. I feel like. A bunch of people I know have been, let's say, exposed to it. I feel like the definition of modern classic is going to trip some people up. What, no. <laughs> what, what sure. does that mean? <laughs> yes. The book did come out in 1996. Woof. And when I told people that I was reading this book for the podcast, they said to a person, I thought that was just a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so is it? Well, okay. It did have... Uh, like it had a following enough that it was turned into a film. Um, it was turned into a film in 2002. Yes. Which I assume reignited interest in it to the extent that um, Rebecca Wells then wrote two more books, Yaya's in Bloom in 2005, which deals with how the original characters met each other. And then The Crowning Glory of Kala Lily Ponder... Yes. Which appears to be a book in the same Yaya verse, but with a different group of people. <laughs> yes. Now, um, the Yaya books actually start with a book called Little Altars Everywhere, which I think also started as a short story. Um, mm-hmm. So, Rebecca Wells, she wrote that story in 92, that book. Uh, after she was sidelined from a like solo performance piece called Gloria Duplex, I think she's the one. She's got a couple. She's an an actor and playwright as well. Um, I think that might be the one where she is some sort of bur- like burlesque performer. I think she's a printer who can print on uh, both sides of the page. Oh, the duplex, the Gloria yeah. Duplex. Yes, I, that's a fascinating <laughs> play. Um, and she broke her foot, uh, and while she was sidelined, she ended up writing this first novel, um, which is about the same characters that are in The Divine Secrets, and it won some awards, um, and then was picked up by HarperCollins, and like went on to be this kind of sleeper success that then spurred um, Yaya Sisterhood, which became a number one New York Times bestseller. It won the American Booksellers Award. It was shortlisted for the Orange Prize, which is the same thing as the Bailey's Women's Prize for fiction. Um, and then there was like... A, they, you mean they renamed it? Or yeah, it just they has like it. different names they for like different it. demos? I think, I think they renamed it. Um, and then, yeah, there was this nine-year 
layoff where she didn't uh, talk about the ayahs at all. Actually, she was dealing with Lyme disease, which she's been an outspoken like advocate for research and treatment of. Um, which I think, like growing up as a kid, I just always was aware of it. Though I don't know that I've ever known anybody who's had it. I don't think I did either. It's one of those things where, where little kids don't know anything about it. They just they just know that Lyme disease is something to be worried about. Yeah, like don't let like, a tick near you or you right. will get Lyme disease. Like on the playground in the early 90s, maybe I've told this story on the show before, I don't even remember, where I touched a kid's broken lip and everyone said that I had AIDS. Whoa! Yeah, because it was the early 90s and everybody was like Yo. knew AIDS was bad. That's and had some terrible. kind of weird idea about it being communicable, but then Man. like understood nothing about. I'm glad that kids grow up because kids are dumb sometimes. Yeah, kids are stupid. <laughs> um, um, I mentioned yeah, that. Yeah. I mentioned the Lyme disease thing, um, not only because of where it fell in her career and and it uh, delayed Yaya's and Bloom from where she anticipated writing it, but she, I was just struck by her being outspoken in like. Uh, like Associated Press interviews and stuff about her experience with it. The fact that like she, there were times where she had to dictate the book to, into a tape recorder and then like her husband would like type it for her. Um, and she connected with uh, the author, Amy Tan, who I think also has dealt with Lyme disease or some other kind of chronic pain illness. And I just think it's like, that's a thing that can easily become a shadow illness that nobody talks about. Or, or knows how to. Because well, um, even I, like I'm hearing you talk about Lyme disease and it's like, is there a cure for Lyme disease? Like how manageable is Lyme disease? Like, I, how worried should I be about Lyme disease? I think right it's now? manageable, but I think it might be one of those things that doesn't get quite cured. You just Ugh. learn to deal with it. I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, so then she also talks in some of those interviews about Yaya's and Bloom um, being slightly different in tone from the earlier books. She's kind of, going through a process of like you know thinking about herself differently and thinking about uh who these women are um, it's like different different how like brighter uh, or darker a little or... darker i think is what she says huh um but she also i've read a lot about how the first book is actually a little bit darker than divine secrets so i, I don't really know um this was as we said made into a film Starring uh, Sandy Bullock, yep. Ashley Judd, and Maggie Smith, among other people. <laughs> yep. It the was guy who played, um, the oh, what's his name? The guy in Braveheart. Oh, what guy from Braveheart? Uh, oh, dang. Uh, keep talking and I'll look well, it up. Well, I was going to say James Garner, who's the old man from The Notebook. Um, he's old Ryan Gosling <laughs> from The Notebook. Oh, uh, Angus McFadden, who played Robert the Bruce in Braveheart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Jeff Denlin in the Saw franchise? No idea who that is. The Saw franchise. Um, he play he played uh, McCready and Cameron Crowe's We Bought a Zoo. We're just classic. really going down this Angus hole, huh? Modern class. Well, look at his Wikipedia page <laughs> and look at his mugshot that's in it. Okay. Because it looks like the program picture from somebody's like high school production of a Charles Dickens something or other. Angus McCready. Yeah, just like I just pasted it in our Slack. Okay. McFadden. Ing Whoa, that guy. Yo. He looks like if you were trying to cast like a Jack Black type. But like with 
with chops. He's like Jack. <laughs> like, if Jack Black and Sean Connery had a beautiful baby. Oh yes, I'd buy. I'd buy that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Vine Secrets film was directed. I didn't know this by the same woman who wrote um, and created Thelma and Louise, which is pretty cool. Um, but it was not as well received as that Academy Award-winning film. Um, most critics found it uh, implausible or <laughs> or shallow or messy. And the best reviews still tapped into something that I think I hope we talk about today is like the emotional resonance of the book really speaking to people, um, like the relationships, but that the like maybe the plotting wasn't doing it for folks or it was you know didn't feel focused um things like that uh i can see like that's kind of part of the point of this book sure okay i think structurally it hangs together okay it's just like the part of the book that the book thinks is interesting and the part that i thought was interesting are just not the same part i don't think (laughs) okay um, I mean, the book uh, the book would presumably think that all of itself was interesting, <laughs> but I was. It's it's grand statements on, on like humanity and sisterhood and stuff fell flat for me. While some of the like plot stuff, okay, I enjoyed. So, um, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you wanted to say something about something well before the break two, right? two things before the break one is wells um it's not too much on her aside from the yaya series for like general population interest um though she you know she was born and raised in louisiana which factors into this book she was raised in the roman catholic church she studied at lsu um she went off to attend the naropa institute in colorado which is like allen ginsburg's like interesting hippie college out there um <laughs> it's interesting hippie i college. know people who went there that's good i'm trying to make sure i don't like uh you know misrepresent it oh so what were you what would you say if you didn't know people who went out there? i might like what like, what do you really think i might like make a joke about the, a course there called zen archery which i know is a thing but i think Boy. that you might actually get really good at archery if you could be pretty zen about it so i'm gonna be good um she then went <laughs> to new york city where she worked in theater uh, New York City. And then moved to Seattle um, for a period of time before like moving back to Nashville, I think only a year or two ago. Um, so there's a quote from her from this uh, interview with Deep South Magazine uh, two years ago. Yikes. Where she talks about... <laughs> can, we, can, we, can we not? <laughs> she talks about... Um, writing about the South while away from the South. And she says, I needed the distance from the South in in order to look at it, or the South that I had internalized, the South that I had to dissect, shift through, take the best, and leave the rest. I could not have written four novels that take place in Louisiana if I had not lived that far away from the South. I needed to cross the Rockies and then the Cascades and live in a Northern European culture in order to metabolize the South. So I want to use that as like table setting for when we come back to the book proper. Sure. Um, Because I think... I will be interested to know if you think she is actually like operating from an outsider perspective or if what she's really there to do is kind of honor or, or interrogate what was there. I mean, just like on its, on its face, I understand, especially if you're writing about a place where you're from. Yes. The need to leave that place to fully appreciate and understand the ways in which that place is different from other places. Sure. Sure. 
Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to just bring up briefly is there was a 1999 article in the Washington Post that I found called Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Yaya. And it was all about the Yaya Sisterhood clubs and groups that cropped up after this book got popular. They started sort of as like a book club where the only book was Divine Secret of the Yaya Sisterhood. Yikes. And then it was like it they all kind of became these um like woman friendship groups like um let's find a bunch of people who want to bond over this book but then what they are really looking for is like friendship and togetherness um one woman who ran the new orleans chapter said a yaya is someone who can laugh at herself let loose and be able to be a true girlfriend it takes a lot to be a special girlfriend not everyone can be a yaya um they talk about laughing and having humor um, at the March meeting of the Virginia Yaya Sisterhood, six women met at the Herndon House of founder Liz Klein. The women, ranging in age from 25 to 73, filled a giant punch bowl with orange and lime sherbet, 7-Up, and random liquor from the cabinet. They then slurped from the same bowl with giant straws. They chatted about careers and compared computer systems and offered advice to a younger member who hoped to get married. The party broke up at 10.30 p.m. when the punch ran out. Like this just seems that's like, like a good that's time. My, that's my favorite part of every Yaya meeting is like, hey, you got you got that Pentium two yet? I got a Pentium Pentium three. Oh, you step to my Pentiums. Oh, your office is using Windows ninety five. I just got that Windows two thousand. No, nobody would be using Windows ninety five in an office setting, Craig. What are they, they be using Windows NT 4.0 oh, or 3.5? Well, this is what we would talk about at our Yaya Club, Andrew. Yeah. Um, and One day the consumer and professional lines of Windows will be unified, we would say. <laughs> One day in the distant future, the code bases will be combined and for... to, to combine the robustness of business Windows oh with the user friendliness of consumer Windows. So what this book did, and then was, that was called oh, Windows XP. Inspired, and the rest was history. The, like groups of women <laughs> across the country to get together, um, and you know, sort of base it on the book, but then also just kind of like have an excuse to make power, like hopefully powerful friendships. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of I'll want to know when we come back to the book, like. Does it really provide a schema for that or were folks kind of using, do we think that maybe people were using this as like the launching pad to something else or something? Well, and so my, we, and we could talk a little bit more about this when we get into the plot, but I feel like a Yaya club that was about mixing sherbet and whatever <laughs> liquor you had is all well and good and fun and whatever, but <laughs> it plays up, it plays up like the fun yeah yeah sisterhood whatever of, of the book while glossing over the um the child abuse and the alcoholism and the oh sure okay estrangement and the like the dark part of the book like i, I think that having a yaya club where you just get together and drink and giggle and whatever is fine but it also is um maybe not honoring the book not necessarily okay or, or is like not even like honoring the book, but just like kind of missing the point a little. Ah, okay. Well, cool. Let's take a quick break and then you can tell me about the point of the book. Andrew, how are your teeth doing? 
They're doing great, actually. Yeah? Yeah, I'm brushing my teeth right with this Quip toothbrush that I have. Oh, tell me about them. They're sponsoring our show this week. They are sponsoring. Oh, are they? Yeah. Wow, cool. What a coincidence. (laughs) Um, So, Craig, the truth is that most of us, including you, you idiot, are Mm -hmm. brushing our teeth wrong, not for long enough, and we forget to change our brush on time. That's because most brands focus on selling flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing. Uh, but not quit. So uh, what makes them so different? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad I asked me. <laughs> For starter, Keep going. Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing just the amount, the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. There, There is a built-in timer. Um, so it's for a total of two minutes. Um, and every 30 seconds, it pulses to let you know to change to a different quadrant of your mouth so you brush all four corners of your mouth over the course of two minutes i didn't know my mouth passes you around yeah it does have quadrants we've had said we've had this is like the third time we've read this ad you know about the quadrants um and you should also know quip's subscription plans are for your health not just your convenience they deliver new brush heads on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five dollars including free shipping worldwide i mean that's five dollars if you're a sucker but if you're not a sucker what you can do <laughs> is go to getquip.com slash overdue and you'll get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's a $5 value for free um, at getquip.com slash overdue. That is G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash overdue. You owe it to your teeth. Brush them better. Andrew, I also want to tell you about another sponsor that we have this week. Wait, Craig. So I know I want to buy more Quip toothbrushes, but like... I'm a little, I'm short. So can you? Yes, I can tell help me you. how to get twenty five dollars. Well, I can't tell you how to get twenty five dollars, but I can help you save some money this summer. You can start by paying less interest on your credit card balances. You can refinance with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. So Lightstream is sponsoring us this week. It's an easy way to save hundreds to thousands of dollars and lower your interest rate. Um, they offer credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR with auto pay. That's like real budget stuff. That's important. <laughs> um, and that's lower than the average credit card interest rate. It yeah. sounds like a pretty low APR. It's it's lower than the average you. credit card interest rate of over 18%. It's that important. is much lower. And you could get your funds as soon as the day you apply. Um from the folks at Lightstream who believe that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. And you can say goodbye to high interest credit cards this summer and start saving with Lightstream. Um, yeah, they seem like good folks who are just trying to help you save some money. That's what I I think that that's pretty good. Yeah, like you can credit card companies will give a credit card to a lot of different yeah. people. And sometimes, like when I like what I I got a credit card like in college, I think, and I did a pretty good job of managing it. But I definitely know folks who have maybe spent a little more than they had, and these like credit card consolidation loans are a good way to like get everything on one bill and then lower your interest so you can actually like catch up with it, and that can free you and your finances up to do other stuff. Like it can be pretty freeing to get a giant mountain of debt off of your chest. Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you know? So our listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash overdue. That is L I G H T 
S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash overdue. I have to read the, this disclaimer, which says, subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for more information. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're back. What is this book about? I've been trying to prep for this podcast, and I just know that like ladies get together, and there's mothers and sisters, and apparently some of them are happy with each other, and some of them are sad with each other, and inspire waves of women to hang out together. So, what? Is that it? That's not the whole book? That's it. Okay, but what is it? it. <laughs> what is it actually? <laughs> So I don't know. Do you want to start with like what a yaya is? But do what a yaya is? Do you want to just like start with what the book is about? Let's talk about what the book is about, and maybe I'll find out what a yaya is along the way. Okay, so uh, Siddeley Walker. Okay, S I D D A L E E. Yeah, Siddeley. Okay, also called Sidda. Have sure. you ever known anyone to have that name before? I've nope, never heard it. Never. In my life. Okay. Uh-uh. Um, so Zita Walker is a, um, 40 ish year old woman who works as a director and playwright up in New York city. Big time. And she has done this play that has been very well reviewed. She's talked to somebody from the New York times. Uh Oh, that old rag (laughs) takes her, who takes her words about her mother being the inspiration for this play and twists them in some unspecified way but you know the way that people like to blame stuff on the media <laughs> oh are you saying that this book may have started with a sour taste in your mouth i'm not saying anything i will say okay it sounds like what you're saying is that we've got an artist who does not like how they are quoted in a story because it conflates the art with the artist so well okay so Sita talked about how her mom inspired some of her art and that part of that inspiration was just that they didn't always get along and there was some like history of abuse and whatever whatever and i don't like i don't know why that needs to turn into like an indictment of the paper like (laughs) (laughs) okay but what happens is uh sita's mom vivi walker reads this article and is infuriated at having her family's dirty laundry aired out in the pages of a national newspaper. Okay. And decides to just straight up disown Sita. Okay. And they've, you know, they've they've had, as you could probably assume, they have, they have not always had the best relationship, but this is kind of a last straw for her. Yes. I just again, I get I don't I just hate personally. <laughs> That you need to make this even a little bit about about it. some gotcha reporter who take takes but a thing that you the, that yeah. you talked about. And that's put what it in the, the person in that situation would feel like, though, if she didn't intend it, and it doesn't excuse hating on it, right? Um, but I think that that's a that's I don't know that happens. That's like uh, I don't know. I'm reminded of Peyton Place when we talked about Peyton Place. And how she the book that shocked America, the book that shocked America, uh, and how she like wrote about this small town, and then like everybody hated her for it. <laughs> like uh, obviously, 
I don't, you know, she probably had a tempestuous relationship with reporters who would cover that. Um, and that, that would happen. But it sounds like this is a catalyst for a bunch of soul searching and it is like it's not even the the part about it being the new york times and being like misconstrued is mentioned like pretty consistently but it's also so minor a plot point that i'm just mad about it's it just because bugging I you. yeah think a lot about the media and how it's portrayed in other media that's a fair point okay in in the year um, of our lord 2018 it's worth thinking about sure because like narratively you don't even need it like like Sita could just talk about it straightforwardly and Vivi could read it and like have a different understanding of events like the oh, you could sure. use you could use it to comment more on the mother daughter relationship than to like make the paper about it but I don't know man okay. like this is just my own personal <laughs> thing it's not even worth talking about for as long as we've talked about it That's it just fair. made me a little upset okay. from the jump so her mom Vivi is upset, her mom Vivi is, upset is really with her. upset with her and Sita, I don't know, this kind of sends her into a bit of a spiral where she, she is with um, this guy named Connor, Connor McGill. Okay. Who is her, is her fiance. Um, her, I don't know if it's like her first serious relationship, but it's definitely a, like she's 40, he's 45. They're both coming at this pretty late and... Like pretty late in terms of like courtship, yes. I guess. Okay. Speaking as people who like everybody we knew got married when they were twenty eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this like they they were pretty solid, but this whole like thing with her mom has convinced Sita that like she doesn't know how to love or be loved, and she just needs to break off the engagement for a little bit and go off and think about stuff. Okay. So she does, and. Her mom, I don't know, she sends her this book called The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. And it's just this big photo album with a bunch of like pictures and newspaper clippings and letters and stuff between Vivi and her three friends whose names are Teensy, Nisi, and Caro. Those are all nicknames. Okay. But, uh, those four collectively are the titular Yaya Sisterhood. Okay. Now... And it's Where... just their special name for a group of friends who have all known each other since they were like little kids. Okay. And have been close for their entire lives. Now, but this book is presumably, if it is being sent through the mail, like it's complete. Like. I mean, it's it's not, it doesn't have everything in it, but it's just like okay. a lot of stuff. Like Sita's, between the interview and like trying to reach out to Vivi and like fix things. She wants to have a deeper understanding of her mother and like what happened with her and her friends. Is it like maybe like digging around in her past, trying to figure out more about herself? Yeah. So is it a um, maybe I did say maybe I did actually say some jerk stuff about my mom? Is it oh, there's some like deeper stuff that I'm not acknowledging? Is it? I don't even know if it's like unacknowledged stuff, but it is just like she feels like she needs to. She feels like she would like some answers, and so she wants to go digging through her mom's past and like figure out why why it is that they've always had such a hard time getting along. I okay, guess. it's it's the very short and That's possibly the setup. oversimplified version of it. Okay, yeah, and so the rest of the book it alternates between Sita doing this in the present day and also like talking to the Yayas and to. Um, and to her very annoying friends from New York who come and visit. And 
and like trying to trying to parse her feelings and then also we get flashbacks both through like actual letters that I believe Sita is reading to like sometimes Sita will see a picture and she'll be like man I wish I knew the story behind that one and then we'll switch to Vivi's point of view and then she'll have a flashback that tells us the story behind the picture okay do we ever get a like the see do we ever like all the way back and Sita's like oh cool story ma like does she (laughs) are we just meant to presume that Sita has absorbed that information cosmically somehow. I think like she talks to the yayas and I think she does come to an understanding of some of it, but not all of it. Okay. But, um, it's like the only way for us, the reader to, to get that information because it's not universally preserved in the book is to yes. hear about it from the people who like lived through yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's an excuse to character hop and, and time hop. It sounds like, okay. So what, is a yaya why are they in this sisterhood what is that about let me just read you i'm gonna so the the yaya term is appropriated from native americans who in this book of course are called indians because it's the, it was written in the 90s and, and it's, we were and still it's referencing that one out people from even decades before and it, it's yeah. referencing people who were kids in like the 1930s so um Long before the white man showed up, the mighty tribe of Yayas, a band of women strong and true and beautiful, roamed the great state of Louisiana. Leopards slept with us and bears fed us honey from their paws and fish jumped up into our hands because they wanted to be our food. The trees were so thick that we could travel from New Orleans to Shreveport on treetop. Shreveport? I think it's Shreveport. Shreveport? <laughs> did and we Shreveport did. exist back Shreveport? then? And we did hundreds of Yaya Indians traveling on the tops of trees. Our mother was a black she-ape named Lola who found us in a cave at the beginning of time and raised us like her very own children. We loved her like a mother. People didn't mess with the tribal Yaya sisters. And so they're all like, I don't know, like 12 or 13 or something. And they decide we're we're all best friends. We're going to go out at night and we're going to like... We're gonna mix our blood all together. We're gonna do like a blood sisters. Okay, thing yeah, blood sisters thing. I've never like done cut. that with anyone. You just I've told the story about you did it with a kid's face. Not no, that's no, Craig. No. Okay. Um. Then Nisi, the mistress of names, formally gave all of us our Yaya Indian names that we have chosen ourselves. Mine is Dancing Queen Dancing Creek. Kara's is Duchess Soaring Hawk, and Nisi's is Countess Singing Cloud. Um, and then there's another one that you'd find later. I don't remember what it is. Um, <laughs> okay. But anyway, yeah, so they they decide to to appropriate some native culture. Because these are in four... Service, in service of their friend group. These are four young white women living in the mid-20th century or early 20th in, century In South. Louisiana, yeah. Okay, okay. So, yes, it is... Woof. In the 1930s. Okay. And they... Hmm. And they're all very good pals, but they're all also, they all have a rebellious streak. So I, at some point, I, can we just talk about the Goodreads reviews? I mean, I want to make sure we cover the book and not just responses to the book. The common theme that, that came up in a lot of the reviews is just like this like fetishization of, of southernness. Yeah, happens that I think that I think comes up the best in the book during a flashback where they talk about going to Atlanta and seeing the movie Gone with the Winds, like right when it comes out. Oh, okay. I'm glad that I've actually read Gone with the Wind because they drop a wicked lot of references to it without <laughs> a lot of context. So like I 
got it all because I read the book not that long ago. Okay. But, um, so tell me a little bit about the the different yayas then, or tell me more about specifically Vivi because it, it sounds like another anchor for people reading this book and people who have responded to either the movie or the book is yeah. the is the mother daughter relationship, which is it's not not entangled with the kind of southern history southern culture stuff that can very easily either click with someone or not um but i think the mother daughter stuff is a thing i've seen in a lot of reviews of the book that is where its most powerful stuff comes from so on the topic of the yayas i'll quote another good good reads review (laughs) if you don't find these women as adorable and outrageous as they find themselves you are really going to hate this book and i did (laughs) That was part of the review, not what I'm personally saying. Yeah, okay. Um, another one says, so the message seems to be that you can get away with whatever the heck you want as long as you act like it's your birthright to be so obnoxious. <laughs> so the yayas as a group sometimes can come off a little. Like, they're just being like teen girls, I guess. But anyway, yeah, let's talk about Vivi because that's more that's the more interesting stuff is like sure. her family life and her history. So Vivi's deal is that she is born to... Uh, Mary Catherine Abbott and Taylor Abbott. Mary Catherine is called Buggy in the book. Not a hundred percent sure why. A lot of names all over the place in this. But book. she's very, very Catholic and very, very worried about Vivi's, I guess, uh, her her lust for life. She just thinks That's, that I love she, that song. <laughs> she thinks that Vivi is is is. She doesn't got it right with the big guy. Okay. In some specific, perhaps horny ways is what you're sure. Okay. And she's, and she's friends with all these yaya girls and they're always running wild all around and like not being proper ladies and not being properly respectful. And it's a whole thing. Okay. Um, so the most like that she is, Vivi is abused by both of her parents emotionally, if not physically, like we um, the okay height of this is when um so after her 16th birthday um Vivi's mom decides that the only way to save her daughter is going to be to send her to this to St. Augustine's I think it's called like this this nun school okay um this really really strict Catherine Catholic school yes and so she goes there and everyone hates her and she's been separated from everybody she loves and everything she ever loved and she stops eating and she gets really sick and really emaciated and thin and her friend Teensy and her friend Teensy's mom Genevieve come and like basically bust her out after she's stuck in the infirmary okay um, with a with a nun who is more sympathetic toward her plight, and I think lets the outside world know just like how bad stuff is. Sure. Okay. Um. So that's that's one of the great miseries is like Vivi's mom really really hates her. Hmm. And just like there's like for no reasons that yeah, just like, for reasons that she's not great at articulating and never really I don't know. Well, that's that's and that's one of those like. I don't know. That's a thing that sometimes doesn't make for a easy story or a quote unquote good story from a narrative perspective. But just like sometimes parent relationships are just bad, and like they're, yeah, sometimes they're, they're just bad. And so what, what what we're supposed to take away of eventually from Vivi and um, and Sita's relationship is that 
there's a lot of bad stuff there. And maybe some of that is just like it's in their blood and they can't avoid it. But there's also some genuine love and affection there. Okay. And you're just supposed to kind of take the both and and that's family. That's that's a family. <laughs> you made hey, a family. Hey, presto, that's a family. Uh-huh. Um, but with Vivian, her mom, that's like it's definitely weighted more on the repressed emotion, like jealousy, hatred. Side sure. Does the does the book like? Is there a is there a cycle of abuse with Vivi? Like, is that a thing between her and Sita at all, or is it? Yeah, just, so we'll okay. we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Um, the ultimate the ultimate angle of the book, I guess, is that Sita is supposed to understand why her mom abused her. Okay, because she learns more about the ways in which her mother was abused, which I don't like. I'm all for like empathy and understanding where people are coming from a little bit better. I I don't think that's the excuse that the book thinks it is. So okay. Much. Okay. And we'll talk about that when we talk about like exactly what Vivi did because you don't find that out until very very late. It's just like subtly alluded to. Okay. Um. And I, I feel and like then, this is also yeah. this is very this is all ringing very '90s to me too. Like it. How so? Just in. I don't know. It feels like uh, an era in which we were just cresting into talking about stuff like this in a like a healing way. Yeah. So like Sid had talked about how she's been seeing a therapist, but obviously is not like she's not it's not helped her like come to like find a sense of closure in any of this. Sure. Sure. And, Um, And there's certainly plenty of fiction that does a poor job of portraying abuse and, and using it for shock value over actually like emotional growth or, or like, you know, I don't even, I don't even know if, if, if the book, this book is doing that. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 the cause and effect and like the ways characters are supposed to react to this seem a little, um, I don't know. Like at the, at the the book ends with like a a tearful reunion where the two women come to a greater understanding of one another, and I feel like that was maybe a little unearned, but that's just where I'm coming from. Sure. Um, okay, so that's the one thing that happens in Vivi's childhood, and then well, childhood and young adulthood. Okay. And the second thing that happens is that the love of her life, Jack, who is Teensy's brother, I believe, um, dies in World War Two. Okay. And that, like, so that basically takes away um, Teensy's mom from, like, both of their lives. So Teensy's mom, like I said, was the one who came and busted Vivi out. Like, she's a, she is kind of a mothered figure where her mom, where her own mother was not, can't be yep. or won't mm-hmm. be. Um, so, so that's traumatizing and it, it's bad. And so, and then there are intervening years after that, like you get when Jack dies and like the immediate, like the Genevieve related aftermath, but you don't get a lot of Vivi's life filled in until you're reading about her married to this other guy named Shep, who seems nice enough, but ultimately very of his time when it comes to child rearing and whether men are supposed to help with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thanks Shep. (laughs) 
you see Vivi, like she's got these four kids, including like Sita had a twin who died like at during birth. Okay. And so that kind of doesn't directly affect anything except insofar as it's always just kind of hanging there. Which I imagine it would. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine. So I don't know if if we're supposed to take that to also be a reason why Sita has trouble like relating to the world and to her mom sometimes. Yeah, it's that like twin bond that is that is missing. But that it's, anyway, that's yeah. it's in there. It's floating around. That's what's up. Okay. Um, but Vivi is essentially alone trying to deal with these four kids, and and they're all like in, in this particular episode, they're all sick and and like coughing and having diarrhea everywhere. And she is so stressed out by this that she like pawns a ring that her dad gave her for her 16th birthday and gets 500 bucks and just like goes. Whoa. And she's only gone for, she's not even gone for quite a whole week and she goes and she gets the ring back and she comes back and, and is, I, I guess more or less okay for a little while, but she is feeling completely overwhelmed. She is dealing with feelings of like hatred for her children and her husband. She is feeling judged because like, can I, can I do anything for myself without feeling bad about it ever again? Like, do I have to put these yeah. kids okay. first for the rest of my entire life? Yep. To not be a bad person. And like that, that part I think rings the truest to me. Just, just not in terms of like, that's how every parent feels about their kid when they're new. But like when you're a parent, I think part of getting used to everything is just like, I don't know, like trying to figure out how you feel when you don't feel like a hundred percent affection and devotion to your kid a hundred percent of the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. We, I still don't think we talk about that well. And I, I hope that folks who are parents have found the, the folks they need where they can talk about that. Um, There's a podcast on um, the max fun network called one bad mother where they talk about a lot of that. Oh, sure. Kind of thing. Um, um, and just trying to like balance the good with the bad and, and like be people while also being parents. And, and yeah, and so, instead of just being parents, I don't know that that's a sidebar. So but. this, I mean, this sort of seems like it would, and I don't want to, if you want to hop back to the, to the Vivi train, uh, please by all means. But I, I think this to me starts to look like a character who would really benefit from having her yayas, right? Like, and by that, I mean her group. I don't mean something else. <laughs> but like having people for whom she is still the person she's always been, not Vivi the, the parent, not Vivi the daughter, not Vivi the wife, just Vivi the member of this sisterhood. Yeah. Um, and keeping and that's that's one reason why I think a lot of us try to maintain those long term friendships. Um, but that can also be why you like set yourself up for holding on to them maybe longer than you should. Um, that's well, so, so yeah, that, that's interesting for a couple reasons. One is that Sita does look at these, look at those pictures with some, some yearning for, for that, like not only for wanting to have that kind of relationship with other people, 
but she thinks, you know, I'm I am 40. Have I missed my chance to have my own kids and have a relationship with them? Mm. Like missing parts of her own childhood and when she and the yayas and all the the little yaya kids would hang out. Uh-huh. Um just, they, just feeling alone and feeling or whatever, like whatever. <laughs> yaya yas. <laughs> My favorite band, by the way. That's a good band. The mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there, there's that. And then, um, man, what, what were we talking about? We were talking about yearning for the Ayaz or the place of the Ayaz in Vivi's oh, life. Oh, yeah. and so th- this this little bit about Vivi being super desperate is she like you? Part of how you, the reader, know she's in a very, very dark place is like. I can't even tell the other yayas how I really feel about my kids and my husband. Sometimes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm too worried. Like they seem like they're handling it fine and I don't want to be the monster. And I think that, that really speaks to a lot of what I've heard from friends and, and like, you know, new parents about, about how motherhood is sometimes is sometimes you just have these feelings and they're, normal but you feel like you're you can't like express them in any way because you know what kind of person thinks that way about having kids yeah and i can also it sounds like you know again this is setting up the stakes for then you're a mother you have a daughter and then the stakes get that much higher for the daughter to feel like she has a good relationship with her mom because that's the closest person to whatever your experience as a mom would or will end up being and like not having that lifeline or the or the the fear that that lifeline is not as strong as it as it could be yeah so like we're we're well outside of our lane now and i'm just like me me reading this book is being outside of my lane which i just want to acknowledge but it's important for us (laughs) to to like see what's going on in those lanes yeah yeah no it it super is it super is and that's part of the point of this whole Dumb show but (laughs) what i mean is like i've talked in the abstract about motherhood a thing about which i know nothing directly sure sure enough and so let's move on okay um so bring bring us home with vivi and and sitta then yeah so so the culmination of all of this is an episode where sitta's around like 10 or 11 i think and Vivi, who is also an alcoholic, you've kind of seen her descending into this like throughout her early adulthood and into her early motherhood. Okay. Um, just like leaning on the bourbon a little bit too much. She like the the Yayas decide they're gonna give up drinking for Lent. Hmm. And then Vivi like starts taking these some like pills to help. Mm. And she and this leads directly or indirectly to like a full-on mental breakdown where she is talking to this priest guy and she goes off and hangs out with him for a couple of days and comes back like fully convinced that her children have like the devil in them. And it ends with her like whipping Sita with the, the buckle end of a belt Ugh. and like wound, like seriously wounding her. Like under while- the belief that this is like some sort of, yeah just like totally totally out of her mind Mm. and like she doesn't like she she doesn't know what she's doing to the extent where like she doesn't like her one of the yayas like takes her to the bathroom to try and like 
wash up and she doesn't know what to do and she's on a toilet. Like they try to make her a sandwich and she doesn't remember how to like chew food. She's had a total just break. Yeah. Yeah. And um but Sida, who is who bears like the physical scars of this encounter and also is trying to like protect the other three kids. Like she's the oldest of, of four, like I think I mentioned. Yep. Um and so Vivi goes away for like three months and Sida for basically her entire life part of her believes like that it's her like that she made her mom do this and so oh, like, okay. that, that it's her fault yeah and so like part of I guess understanding more about her mom is not just understanding what happened to her mom that might explain her mom's behavior but also understanding but also realizing yeah like hey where it's not her fault yeah yeah okay Okay. And also realizing, like, so her whole thing with her fiance is like, I don't know how to be loved by people. So I just have to go out into the woods in Seattle with my dog and think about it for a long time. And she eventually, like, I guess learns to just, like, there are going to be things that she just, like, doesn't fully understand. About pe- about other people? It's just about, like, other people and about, like, being loved and about loving. And sometimes you just kind of got to, like, live in the way that you feel and and not worry about it too much. Like, hmm. no, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that makes so sense. So the other, like, one of the other things about, about the book that kind of rubbed me the wrong way is that Sita in this book is 40 years old and... 40 feels a little old to be having such trite realizations about Fair. about human relations it, it feels more like a like a mid to late 20s or early 30s thing like i think if sita had been a full decade younger i would have found this like going off into the woods and thinking about stuff until you figure it out thing mm. to be a little more believable and like less self-indulgent i was just like i was not i was not on board with sita as like a character sure for most of her little arc because she is just kind of wallowing in stuff and that's and that's not to say that that you can't come to terms with your life and like figure stuff your stuff out at any point in your life it just felt like she was having some kind of she, in the book. She's supposed to be having some kind of midlife crisis, but it really feels like the material that a quarter life crisis is. That's interesting. Yeah, is made of because, I like, as you as you become an adult, you have to relearn how to relate to your parents as people and not as parents. Like, I think that most people go through that kind of a, a phase of like trying to like understand the way you relate to these people and the things that might've motivated them and just like the stuff that happened. And maybe like she went through such horrendous abuse that maybe it just like, she just didn't want to think about it. Didn't come to terms well, with it, whatever. But I also want to know, like could the other thing that might delay that is men, maybe the book just doesn't portray this or ask these questions, but like in the, what I see around me for some folks in the arts world is and this might be true in other in other fields as well so i don't want to just limit it that but like some of your more typical like adult growth gets waylaid by a different like artist life that has its own little like 
pubescence and adulthood and maturity and then right. you like look up and you're like oh but there's the, all my friends who don't do this have other stuff going on where am i in relationship to that and that can get very navel gazy if if art is just about that but I, it also i think can turn can kind of fuzz the line between what you i think very well articulated as quarter life versus midlife crisis stuff. Yeah. Um, and but it's it doesn't like, sound it, like the book really is art is interrogating like a person who is a, a, like an artist and thinking about how this is like impacted or not impacted her art for 10 to 15 years. No, it's yeah. It's you get one episode where Sid is like 25 and her mom comes out to see um her first directed play which is i think death of a salesman okay the american dream the american dream biff the pen why i take the pen (laughs) and um and vivi gets because she's jealous i guess like vivi's had this thing where she's always kind of wanted to be the center of attention and on the stage and whatever and so she kind of has this drunken blow up at sitta where she's like who gave who gives children the right to direct the great Arthur Miller and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, Whoa. But okay. like, I just, I feel like, so she's been dealing with her mom for a long time. It's not like she totally cut off ties. She's making art about her mom. She's talking to a therapist about her mom. And then what ultimately gets her fixes everything is, is this like book floating in a lake looking up at the stars and looking at a photo album like, okay I, I don't know so there's a so um, <laughs> like the 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 Sita parts of the book are not that interesting because it's just Sita alone with her thoughts and i don't think that she is sufficiently sketched in or like built out like i just i yeah i the the stuff about vivi i thought was interesting especially like everything about about vivi's like upbringing and and the way she approaches things and her experiences i found interesting but then you flash back to sita and sit is like hmm my my mother how do i feel about my mother i, I pet my dog and floated in a lake while i remembered well, how my mom smelled that and that's just like, <laughs> that to me actually like it sounds like Vivi is has a lot of specificity to her story, which even yes. if it's dealing, even if it's like bumping into and and using tropes that we are familiar with, which that's why they become tropes in the first place, right? But she feels like she's pretty specific, whereas the what Sita literally does is like, hmm, I need to think about a very specific character. Let me remove myself from all context that would grant me specificity. And help the reader know more about me. And I will just go off and think about a better drawn character than me. Yeah, like really, you, okay. get, very li- you get very little about Sita that does not have something to do with Vivi or the Yaya. It's like so Vivi's stuff is like, this is, this is my lived experience. This is my boyfriend who died in World War II. This is my experience at this this really strict catholic school this is my experience with my repressed dad and my resentful mom and and this is how i'd feel about like being the center of attention and 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 about alcohol and about parenthood and whatever and then you flash to sitta and this and sitta's like boy let me just think about 
my mom's friends for another 15 pages. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, okay. So I want to, I want to pivot just, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, I'm going to use a quote from Wells and, and a guardian interviewed, I think to pivot to, um, just the general like yaya ethos. So this guardian interview talks about the clubs as like girls get together with their secrets, breaking rules and bailing each other out at times of crisis um, while also nudging up against darker like mom daughter stuff. And the quote is, um, I like to write books that are like beautiful cakes with files inside the get out of jail kind of file says Wells. Um, the cake metaphor is particularly, this is the author of this article, the cake metaphor is particularly apt for divine secrets, which has a candied fluffiness and touchy-feely sentimentality that threatens to swamp the dark emotions buried inside. So it sounds like the Yaya groups that came up around this book were attracted to the cake, and hopefully they found a way to get each other out of jail. <laughs> this metaphor is going great. Talk to me a little bit about as we close here. What in this book do you do you think really kind of spurred that? What do you see as like, oh, this book might speak to people in a way that would like get them to to want to run out and get together and I like think, call it a yah yah thing. I mean, I, th- I think part of that is just like there there are a lot of descriptions of just young women being together like there, there are which a bunch in and of, of itself is important yeah a bunch of different scenes where it's just like these four young friends who have who are like just out of puberty sitting in their underwear in the hot louisiana summer pre-air conditioning and just like being together and not being like self-conscious about it just like being close like physically and emotionally you know in a way that i think people probably responded to the other thing and this, this maybe ties a little bit to my um just this the weirdness i feel around around like sita and where she is in her life versus where i like would perceive her to be if her age were never listed um i think the book features and centers around a 40 year old but i feel like it's fan base skewed not like exclusively younger, but I feel like it's more of a, a hmm. I don't know. I, think, I feel I feel like it's more of a young adult book almost. Interesting, at least in, like yeah, in action yeah. anyway for well, sure. Well, and to to go back to to Goodreads again, just to like use a to cherry pick a data point to back up the, the point that I'm making. Is <laughs> somebody a popular answered question is is this book okay for a very mature twelve year old? And the answer is, I read it at 12 and liked a lot. I'm 29 now. Hmm. Um, yeah. Could a freshman in high school read this answer? A mature freshman definitely could. Like, I, I think that if you are younger and you're trying, if, if you're trying to come through that part of your life where you're trying to, like, relate to your parents as people and yeah, sure. rather than just, like, parents, I think that could be, that could have some resonance. Yeah, for sure. Where maybe in fiction, I don't really get it so much. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, I think the 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 um and just to to talk about uh Rebecca Wells's language a little bit, like not a lot of it jumped out at me, but she uses smell like a lot. Like huh. to to um like people have a specific smell, like there are specific smells that people definitely like and that because you can, you know, there are there are parts of your brain that are wired 
to like respond to smell and like take you back to a place where you smelled a specific smell or like if there if there is like you could smell a specific thing and I could ask you like what where does this or when does this smell remind you of and you could be taken back to to yeah, there are. Like, I I can't smell like a McDonald's without being <laughs> sixteen and and running that drive through. There are certain um like fall leaf smells that take me to like marching band in high school. There are certain rain smells that take that take me to like camping vacations in elementary school. When we were in Ohio, I smelled. Fresh cut grass. Ooh, yeah. Which I don't get. Like I, I think there are some places in in cities where you can. It's go hard though. If you want to smell that, but you don't come across it just like organically that much. Yeah, and that brings back. It's very powerful. A lot of just like how I had to mow the lawn because the one time my sister did it, she just cried the whole time, <laughs> and so my dad never made her do it anymore. So I find those types of smells, like place smells, way more powerful than most food smells. Just because, like, if I like a food, I eat it a bunch of times. So, like, it gets a little less specific in my brain. I, I guess. guess. Sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that she, she uses smell really effectively, like, both in both in the way she describes it and in the way it ties like characters to other people and places in their lives. Okay. So I don't know. Like I I didn't, I didn't exclusively dislike it, but I had some trouble getting into it and I was kind of fighting how I felt about specific character beats. Sure. Time. If that, if that makes sense, if that doesn't seem like too uncharitable. No. And, and also like, the the appropriative nature of the yaya thing certainly pulls my ear from the oh yeah jump. like there there's that and there's also like there's just a bunch of casual racism because it's the south yeah and, and it's and specifically that time in the south and talking about gone with the wind which like um Sita pays lip service to it being um about like a mythical south okay but you don't like she thinks that and then it's gone well but and i don't need every book to to tell me a thing i know is wrong is wrong but it no and it's just and then and then there's some people just being like casually racist and then like being unchallenged on it or just like not thinking differently on it and again i don't need every book to be a school lesson but i just i feel like from reading this book that these characters would agree with you that slavery is bad, but they would also think, you know, it was it wasn't it so long ago, isn't it? Great, how far we've come. Like, is this yes. still something we like? They they don't they don't spend a lot of time thinking about how that plays out in their everyday lives, except in some bits where Sita thinks about all the like the the black nannies who who raise girls and are as close to them in many ways or closer than than their actual mothers but then you know don't always get to have the same relationship with them or kind of grow out of that relationship eventually like it's it is a thread the book could could tug a little bit harder on and it it doesn't because it's more concerned with the the romanticism with yes. romanticizing the the South than sure. it is with interrogating it, but um, that was another that was another thing that just you'd run up into it every once in a while and just be like, ugh, really? Yeah. Okay, 
Well, if uh, you, the listener, had yeah, yeah. A, had a yah yah group and would like to tell us about it, um, please write in at overduepod at gmail.com. We would love to hear about it. Uh, hit us up on social media at twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. A lot of folks reached out this week in response to my poll about parallel universe cities uh, vis-a-vis Darker Shade of Magic. So thanks to Amanda, Sean, Rebecca, Anna, Ashley, Summer, Emily, Megan, Colin, William, Amber, James, Laura, Tiffany, Yvonne, Teresa, Joseph, Jacqueline, and many more for hitting us up there. I think Ancient Rome won our poll, but a lot of good other suggestions cropped up on Twitter as well for towns where you might make oh, a multiverse. Like our, our magical towns? Yeah. Um, some people said New Orleans, which I thought would be fun. New Orleans. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. Those are all ways you can subscribe to the show. You can also find it in Spotify if you search. I don't know if we can add that link, but it seems like a way that a lot of people have discovered us, which is great. That's cool. Um, we also have a link to our Patreon page. That's Patreon.com slash OverduePod. Kick us a little money and we'll give you some stuff. That's how it works. Um, Craig, what are you reading next week? Mystic River by Dennis Lehane. It was made. It also was made into a movie that I won't watch. I'm just reading the book. All right, that's it. Thanks Whew, everybody. I'm tired. Thanks everybody. Sorry yeah, for yeah. being all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Try to be happy. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.